Bush and Richie here with your Daily Takeaway podcast. Can I just say I made sausage rolls over the weekend for the first time in my life and they've blown my mind. Uh, now, I would like to, as a neutral here, say that I saw pictures of you posting your sausage rolls you on saw me social sausage rolls online. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on social media over the weekend and I thought they looked really, really good. Thank you very much. I, I, I normally am used to ruining things in the kitchen, so mm. I kind of I tend to stay out of there, but I thought... I want to try and get back into trying to doing a bit of cooking. I'm kind of interested in baking. I don't like cakes. I'm not a big fan of making cakes. I'm not very good at that. Because uh, I went on to bake cakes with uh, my two daughters and they were absolutely terrible. So I'm going to stick to the sausage rolls. But it could be a newfound thing. Do you know what I mean? It could be a new new sideline for me. We're always looking for a sideline. I'm, I'm very impressed because, of course, pastry is notoriously really hard to make pastry. Oh, yeah. I, I've heard that as well. Oh. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't make the pastry. I don't. Do people make the pastry these days? Oh, no, <laughs> I'll bake like... off, I think. That's it. <laughs> All right, Paul Hollywood. This is Bush and Rich's Daily Takeaway. A lot of people shared with us uh, a tweet that appeared to go uh, big over the weekend from a gentleman called Pete, uh, who went down to his local playground uh, describing himself as Peak Dad because he'd taken a bottle of WD-40 with him to tackle the squeaky swings uh, that he describes have been bothering him for months. Uh, his purpose in life is found, is how he described it. Good on him. I mean, I, I, I've moaned about stuff like that before, but I would never think of taking it to the next level, putting my money where my mouth is and going to sort out the squeak. Do you know what I mean? WD-40 is incredible stuff. That's not going to be a statement that's going to blow anyone's mind, but it's true. Uh, I remember, um, I'm often feeding my neighbours cats, spend most of my time doing it, but the first time... With, with their permission, obviously, well, when they're yeah, away. Yeah, absolutely, yes. OK, it's good. Uh, and the first time I ever got asked round to their house to do it for a fortnight while they were away, uh, I remember them saying, oh, our front door's quite sticky. There's a certain there's a certain knack to it. Let me show you. And uh -huh. I, was, I was there thinking, right, OK, Okay, better learn this. Uh, and then about four days into their holiday and me trying to sort out feeding the cats, I thought to myself, I wonder whether their front door could be fixed with some WD-40. Hardly, you know, hardly a mind, uh, uh, groundbreaking thought, but yeah, I yeah. did it and it was like a brand new door. And I love the fact that they would have come back from holiday thinking... Oh my God! I don't recognise our door. This is incredible. But I, I feel like maybe you crossed the line there. You're 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 greasing someone else's door without their permission. And in in addition to the cat, <laughs> I know what you mean. But they should have greased it earlier. It could have gone wrong. You may have over greased it. And they can't get in. But no, it's a good point. It's a good point. How has WD40 changed your life? Because it has the potential to. How and would you? How would you feel if a neighbour greased your door without prior permission? The Daily Takeaway. Richie's daily takeaway. Leo uh, has got in touch with an amazing story. He says an old lady stopped us as we were fishing the River Severn. Right. Spray your bait with a WD-40. <laughs> Not the line, just the bait. My husband swore by it, she said. Uh -huh. So to humour her, we did, and immediately started landing decent perch. She just walked away laughing her head off. Wow, it just like, disappeared into a puff of smoke. <laughs> did what? it even happen? Fish go crazy for WD-40? According to Leo and the old lady, yes. Well, I was going to tell my story about uh, greasing the, the feet of my washing machine, but I won't bother now. <laughs> Give it a miss. How can I compete with that? Uh, this text here is incredible. You used to play bass, yeah? Back in the day. Not only do I use it everywhere and anywhere at home and work, says this text, but I use it gigging. Throughout my set, I spray it on my bass fingerboard maybe once every ten minutes. So a good four to five times for a general gig. Now making it theatrically. Downing some beer, grabbing the can that's always placed atop of my bass amp, I spray it into the air vigorously and walk myself and my bass through it. So 
successfully dosing my base and myself in the WD-40. Beautiful stuff. That is, I've never heard of that before in my life, but it's always nice to get a message from Mark King. <laughs> Good old thumb, thunder thumbs on home time. Amazing. Some of this stuff that's coming in about WD-40 yeah. is unbelievable. We've got Karen on the line right now. Karen, tell us your WD-40 intel, please. Just say that, you know, oily fish is always supposed to be good for your mobility and your joints. And I thought, well, maybe it's the fish caught using WD-40. Whoa! <laughs> Suddenly everything all connects here on the universe and the Home Time Show. <laughs> Very good, Karen. So that was it. That was it. That was it. You're on form. You don't need any more. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, she drops the mic and leaves. She's gone. <laughs> Good to talk to you, Karen. Thanks. This is the Daily Takeaway. Pigeons hate WD-40, latest yes. intel. Get in. Uh, Dan says, spray it along the top of the kids' climbing frame. It will stop pigeons landing there and doing their business everywhere. What a, what a versatile product this is. I, did, I, hadn't, I didn't realise <laughs> it was incredible. so versatile. Isn't it amazing? This is Bush and Rich's Daily Takeaway. We've asked you uh, how it has changed your life. People have been flooding forward uh, with uh, their suggestions. Brian possibly might have the most unexpected. What is it, Brian? This was many years ago when I played rugby for Dunfermline. Um, we'd been playing a game as, as one does on a Saturday afternoon and finished up, decided to go for a shower and then go for a beer afterwards. One of the guys who taped his ears over to prevent injury uh, could not get this tape off. Now... The guy was a sailor who was in the dockyard in the site at the time, so this stuff may well have been used to tape boats together. Who knows? <laughs> but he could, no, he could not shift this stuff from, you know, his head. Now, he had his head shaved. That was the worst part. Now, it wasn't as if there was hair in the way. His head was actually shaved clean, and this stuff would not budge. So, of course, he gave up, went into the bar, and he was getting a severe ribbon from everybody, both sides, home and away, and had been heavily fined for this because he couldn't get this stuff off. He's standing in his shirt and tie and his ears done up. It looked like a, a frontal lobotomy, you know. Um, <laughs> next thing, one of the old guys, the old sages, appears with this tin of WD-40 and says, this will cure it, son. And he went, well, you're not putting anywhere. And he went, no, give me a chance, give me a chance. Spayed the stuff. Within two minutes, it was off and away. Wow. wow. That might be the most well, Scottish scenario I've ever heard of in my entire life. <laughs> this, this stuff is incredible. I mean... There's a rugby team plays in the west coast of Scotland in Drumpellier, just outside Glasgow, and their over-40s team are called WD-40s. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> it seems that WD-40 is quite popular north of the border. Yes. It's a fantastic thing. The only thing you can't do with it is put it in whiskey. Or can you? <laughs> <laughs> the Daily Takeaway. Bush and Richie's Daily Takeaway. Uh, Stevie in North Lincolnshire has emailed in to say, uh, guys, thanks for the reminder. I've just this minute used WD-40 on a squeaky bathroom door. Job done. Well, there you go. How has it changed your life? That's the question. Donna, what is it in your household? Um, so lately is getting ink out of school shirts. Oh, yes. now that reminds me. I did that, didn't I? Oh, my God, yes. Do you remember a few years back? I've got <laughs> bolognese on um, Rocco's white T-shirt and had to yeah. end up getting uh, WD-40 to get it out. Do you know what's reminded me? Is the way you say bolognese. Yes. I, I knew. I must have known where I was when I heard it. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing our control of what we talked about on this show is incredible. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, we'll take off that. Anything else, Donna? Uh, so we get my, we, we wear Dr. Martins. We get and um, we do decorating. We get the we get the paint off the the shoes with with um, WD forty. Yeah, it's a really good sneaky sneak for the army cadets to clean their boots with. Shouldn't maybe not put that out on live. No. 
That's right. I mean, uh, if I ever get into a paramilitary organisation, <laughs> I'll, I'll suggest that on the first meet up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, well, oh, well, there's quite a few more things we can add to the list. Well, it, it's fantastic. Thank you. This is the Daily Takeaway. Cleaning my cast iron wood burn and hearth takes them back uh, black and looking brand new. Thanks but... for texting from the 1860s. <laughs> but this is even better. Same person uh, taking us back to the 80s. It's also great for cleaning my scale track. Makes it wow. nice and grippy. That is amazing. This is Bush and Rich's Daily Takeaway. Uh, can I just say happy birthday to Stella Bush. Our littlest one was two over the weekend. God bless her. Uh, and Stella Bush uh, is a sucker for soft play. She loves a soft play. And there's a big old soft play place uh, near us that I take her to quite a bit called Kids Kingdom. Okay. The name just strikes fear into my into my heart <laughs> as, I, as I think about it. Because I know that we've got, when, when I take her there, because uh, there's a couple of days where I've got her for the full morning whilst my other half Katie's working, I know that we've got about 45 minutes in, uh, in Kids Kingdom before all the other kids like come clambering out of the ceiling and stuff and they just start crowd you out. It's like World War Z or whatever. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Anyway, at Kids, Kids Kingdom, there's this um, incredible landmark. It's a massive inflatable mountain uh, that is known locally as Jelly Mountain. Oh, right, okay. Big old inflatable mountain. And it is something to behold. It looks like something from the Aztecs. It really is. It's a huge, like, pyramid right in the centre of Kid Kingdom. So I've taken Stella down there a couple of times and let her crawl about, etc. Here's the thing, right? I can't climb up the top of it. What, you're not allowed to? Well, I'm allowed to. Oh. But I can't get up there. Uh, what? And, and uh, we've been there three times uh, so far, and I can't climb Jelly Mountain. Is it a height thing? Is it too high for you? Are you scared? Is it fear? I don't know what it is because, you know, I feel like I'm quite, you know, so I've got the stairs on all fours. don't know yeah. if anyone else does that. I, cl- I like to climb I up I do stuff. sometimes, Sometimes yeah. it just feels better to go Spreads up on all the fours. Weight. It really does. So I thought, well, I've got good grabbing action. I can get up there. Couldn't get up there in a million years. Kept sliding back down again. And it's kind of quite badly hurt my pride, I'll be honest How with you. weird. Isn't it weird? Yeah. Couldn't get any purchase on hands and legs or anything like that. Got nowhere near the top. But Stella can climb it. This is the weird thing about this kind of thing. How, how, how would you get older and lose the ability to do something that a kid can do? Well, there was little kids on top of it. There's little kids on top laughing at me looking down. I bet. And I couldn't get up the top. Yeah. So... I, don't know, I just want to put it out there. If you've got any ideas, I, I'm due to take Stella back to Jelly Mountain on Thursday this week, mm-hmm. okay? So if you've got any ways... I mean, I know we spent the first hour talking about WD-40. <laughs> I had to say, it'd be remiss of me not to suggest it. <laughs> that is the direct opposite of what I need. But if there's any way of gaining an edge, I'll, I'll genuinely I'll do anything because ever since I've, I've been down there and I can't get up it, it's really kind of just played on my mind, almost to the point where, have I lost my mojo because I can't get up Jelly Mountain? <laughs> so any suggestions? Anything if you may be involved in aerody- aerodynamics or uh, you're a climber? I'll take anything on board, do you know what I mean? Off the top of my head, can I make a suggestion? Please do. Off the top of my head, how about, you know you get those socks? Well, they, they used to be called totes. I like little toasty tote things. Got little toasty totes, but add sort of like little rubber grips on the bottom of them. What? Would that give you purchase that a normal sock wouldn't? Well, I mean, I've got I've got holes in most of my socks, so oh. I look like I'm almost like a, an urban cat with little pads. Step toe, but with uh, holes in his shoes instead. Exactly, yeah. but but that is a good point. The next level would be to get some kind of toasty or moccasins or something. There you go. The big problem is you can't you can't get running spikes or anything because it's inflatable. That's true. This is Bush and Rich's daily takeaway. My phone's just been going off during that song. 
along uh, with friends taking the mickey out of me. My friend Andy's just texted, just laughing emoji about me not being able to uh, climb Jelly Mountain in South End, the legendary kids' inflatable mountain at Kids' Kingdom, soft play. Uh, my friend Will has also texted, I can't believe you haven't conquered it yet. Apparently he's been up there loads of times. So I want, I'm going again on Thursday with my two-year-old. If you've got any suggestions, I need to conquer this thing, otherwise I won't be able to show me face. Is it your back? Is that not helping? We know, we know you have back problems. It's the first time my back's been all right. Is and, it? And it's not helping. <laughs> <laughs> give, give me a bunk up, literally, please. The Daily Takeaway. Russian Richie's Daily Takeaway. I've tried to help you. Uh, Lee saying if there's one person definitely not in a position uh, to give climbing <laughs> advice regarding Jelly Mountain, it is Richie. Uh, in one word, Bush, Snowdonia. I think he's referring to our charity attempt last year uh, when I got vertigo and had to uh, sit it out two thirds of the way up. That's very harsh. We it were very, very high harsh. up, weren't we? We were. It was very... I bet he's not done it. Well, that's it. It's, it's no Jelly Mountain, yeah. that's for sure. Uh, Daryl says, Kitty's Kingdom had the same problem. What I did was pull my socks down and bared my heels. So up I went. It was easy as that. Bare your heels. <laughs> I've seen yours now. They're very cracked at the moment. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Get cream for that. Yep. Uh, John is a beekeeper. Uh, John, you've got some uh, advice for Bush. Absolutely, mate. Propolis sticks anything. The what? Propolis. It's something that bees make. It's a type of resin. Ooh, I thought bees just kind of did honey and that was it. No, they make all well. A couple of different things. But propolis, yeah, you want some of that, mate. You put it on your feet and the arms, you get up anything. So where would Bush get propolis from? Is that a Holland and Barrett job or something? Or Yeah, you can get it there, I think, actually. Really? Oh, what, I speculated. What, what do people use propolis for? Uh, well, bees coat the inside of their hives with it, and it's like an antifungal. Um, but a lot okay. of people believe that it has health properties. Uh, but some beekeepers actually use it as glue. Okay, so if I, I, I go down to Kids' Kingdom, I take a little sneaky bottle of propolis in my bum bag, yeah. put it on my feet and arms, and up I go. I'm not going to stick to Jelly Mountain. I'm not going to have to be cut out of Jelly Mountain, arm, am I at all, John? Uh, yeah, you, it might actually fuse you into it, so uh, you might want to lose well, a bit of moderation, to be honest. Don't worry, I'll it's climb up behind stuff. you with some WD-40. Oh, that would be so good. Suddenly, the whole show is connecting. Excellent. Yeah, that would probably do the job. This is The Daily Takeaway. The Daily Takeaway. The noise of the past. It's Bush and Ritchie's Sound of the Decades. Absolute Radio 60s. That's right. It's a madhouse in here tonight on Home Time. Come join the fun. Uh, it's Sound of the Decades. We have managed to isolate a sound effect that's synonymous with a certain decade of our shared experience. You've got to guess what it is. Uh, tonight it's all about Absolute Radio 60s. It is a sound from the 1960s. Uh, yes, fresh return for 2024. Have a listen to this sound. What is that? Do you know what it is? It's from the 60s. Here we go. Hmm. Thinking he does know, our first contestant is Mark. How are you, Mark? I'm going all right, Rich. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, we're good, thank you. Good to have you on board, Mark. Where are you calling us from this evening, and how has your Monday been? My Monday's been good, and I'm calling you from Dorset. Oh, I've got to ask, whereabouts? I used to live down there. Christchurch. Beautiful, beautiful part of the world. You sound like uh, yeah, you might be involved in uh, secret service or security work. Mark, you sound discreet <laughs> at all times. You might be wearing an earpiece. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> wow, this is a mystery to him. Isn't there wow, a mystery? He's an enigma, this there man. There really is. I won't dig any further, because otherwise I might disappear. <laughs> you know I mean? uh, right, Mark. Uh, right, give us a percentage figure of how confident you are in the guess you're about to give us. I think so. about 70, I reckon. Okay. 
That's not as confident as I thought he would be when he first came on, do you know what I mean? Just out of, out of interest, which of our many stations do you normally listen to when you listen to this show? Uh, I'm mostly 90s. OK, so he's kind of a 90s guy fishing in 60s water. Exactly. So maybe that's what the 70% accounts for, because he's got that little bit of uncertainty. Mark, enough preamble. What is your guess at the sound of the decades? I think it could be a jukebox loading records, like a self-loading jukebox, an early one. Let's have a listen. It's not a bad guess. Uh, Do you like bounties? That's the thing, the chocolate that is in the top of the mug if you win tonight. It's the only chocolate to eat, mate. Let's have a listen one more time. Bold claim. It's a bold claim. Richie's not a fan. (laughs) Not a fan. Can't believe we're starting in the signed Absolute Radio mug with a bounty. Uh, But will it remain at that or will it jackpot to something else tomorrow? You're a loser and you have lost. Sorry, sunshine. That's all right, my man. You have a good night, yeah? Monitoring all sorts of things on his Bluetooth, but not a correct <laughs> answer. <laughs> Mark, good to talk to you. Uh, you. A fresh chocolate bar will be added into that one mug tomorrow for this sound. Have a little listen. Sound of the decade returns. This is Bush and Rich's Daily Takeaway. Let's welcome to the show, uh, the friend of the show, the brilliant James May. James, welcome back. Thank you very much. Uh, just very, very nice to be here. It's great to have you on. Just when the, the songs were on a second ago, you were just telling Richie and I, regaling us with your the success, the five-star success of your Christmas Day turkey. <laughs> yes, uh, my Christmas Day turkey. I've got a confession about it, which we'll come on to in a minute, but it was uh, perfectly roasted to the point where the middle of the breast was just... Uh, had gone off pink, but... There was still a hint of pink, but it was cooked all the way through. That's very difficult to do, and I must say it was an absolute fluke from the first order. <laughs> the other thing I have to confess to, and this is only something I thought of a few years ago, but to reduce stress, I roast the turkey the day before. Oh, that's, oh wow. That's what my mum does that. And then reheats it all like a professional caterer. Well, I carved because there, there were only two of us this year. It was just me and Sarah on Christmas Day, so I simply carved a bit off and then reheated it. But because we know that reheated roast tastes better anyway, yeah. it's already better, and I just cook the bit I need, and then the rest of it goes in cold cuts, and eventually, you know, turkey sandwiches, turkey curry, turkey, <laughs> turkey in the freezer, <laughs> turkey whatever. Turkey oblivion. Yeah, turkey I like it. Uh, it's got undercurrents of nursing home, but I like the way that you're getting kind of reheated, you know, reheated. Yeah, uh, you're right, it is a little bit... It's a bit sort of care. But, um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know, the, the sprouts and the potatoes and the, and the parsnips and all that stuff, those are done on the day. Oh, OK, fine, that's and cool. those are relatively simple. But even the smallest turkey, and we always, I always say to the local butcher, I want a small turkey, there's only two of us, he said, I want a small, just whatever is a small one, but a small turkey is still enormous. And I was thinking, somebody needs to try and breed a, a special small turkey <laughs> for a couple to Christmas. <laughs> and then I realised this is, in fact, called a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't take as much to, uh, to get onto foods, but uh, here, here, here we are with you talking food. Let, let's, let's talk about you being our man in India uh, and uh, the new show, which is, this is now your, your third trip, Japan, Italy and now India. Yes. The question is, how much does food play a part in choosing your destinations? Well, looking at that list, you'd think it had uh, played a very big part. Yes. It it doesn't, but I suspect that the food is at the heart of the fascination with the place. Now, India, it's interesting. I think there is a special relationship between Britain and India. 
for our part, for the part of the British, it's it is a lot to do with the food. Mm. I think Indian food. There's a lot more to India than the food, but that has played a very big role in familiarising us with aspects of Indian culture, and from there on fashion, style, language, all sorts of things, music. Um, but I think it started for the British with Indian food, which, if you remember when it became mainstream, I mean, it's actually been around a very long time if you read the history of this stuff, but mainstream uh, popularisation of Indian food, I suppose, started in the second half of the 70s, I would guess. Are we talking Balti, the invention of the Balti and all that kind of stuff as well? Yeah, yes, to, to a certain extent. And also the, the sort of the formula British Indian curries, which I tend to think of as a slightly separate strain of Indian food from the Indian food you get in India. What do you normally have then? What would be your order if you went to an Indian restaurant, James? Oh, probably a biryani, which is actually mm. a, a real Indian thing. They eat a lot of that, it turns out. It's probably a biryani or it would be, you know, one of the old school things like Butter chicken. Oh, I love a Richie's butter chicken. That's, right. that's my go-to a curry. He's Mr. He's Mr. Butter Chicken. He's known on this show. <laughs> and people, the people mock me for its mildness, but um, <laughs> it's it's fantastic, and but, it, well, it's, it's on the menu at an Indian mild. restaurant. Yeah, yes, it's, it's often, and it's often sort of. I mean, I don't think I don't think I've ever had a, a hot butter chicken. But actually, Indian food on the whole isn't really as hot as we believe. It yeah, is. that's a bit of a hangover from the days when, when foreign food was was dare food mm. in Britain. Yeah. I think you have to remember we went from essentially a, a sort of post-war diet of boiled potatoes and meat to good old days. Yeah, and, <laughs> and then we had things like Chinese, and then we had Indian, and it's an incredibly exotic thing for the British people. But it, in India, you find that a lot of the food is flavoursome and spicy but not necessarily hot. We have this idea in Britain that you, you go to India and you'll constantly be on fire yeah. having to drink a lassie because of the food. But it's not true. Most of it's quite gentle. I mean, you say in the, the very beginning of the, of the opening scene of uh, the, this new series that the Brits are obsessed with India. Obviously, colonisation and the, co- you know, the colonies, the Raj and all that kind of stuff plays a big role. It's, it's ever-present in your, your travels around the country. Is this something that you wish, you're almost like apologising for a little bit? Is it, is it brought up? What, what, what's the kind of scene over there with it? Well, I think... So I was hanging around with for example, at the beginning, Aditi Mittal, who's a stand-up comedian, and it's given that she has a a British victim, and she's quite politicised anyway because she's a stand-up comic and they they have to be. Yeah. She was going to bring it up and... and You knew it was coming. Yeah, I did. I was was sort of braced and ready, and I knew it was going to come. But actually, I think for the most part, I'm not sure the Indians are hung up on it, particularly. There are some bits in India, like when I went on the Maharaja Express and and a hotel we stayed in in Darjeeling, they sort of play the the Heritage Raj card a bit, but I find it a little bit... Not, not not because I'm sort of embarrassed about our history or anything, but it's just a bit corny now. Yeah. And it's not actually as good as real modern India. I, I, I prefer the real thing. I'm not, I'm not saying that to virtue signal or sound righteous or anything. Mm-hmm. I just think it's, it's more interesting and actually probably more authentic. As a lover of cricket, which I believe is a recognised religion uh, in India, uh, how much uh, how much of that did you, in reality, experience uh, as you as you travelled from coast to coast? A, a lot of people talking about cricket. Now I know I know nothing about cricket. I'm not even sure I know the rules. Um, <laughs> I don't really know very much about sport, and I don't really do it, and never have. But yes, they do talk about it a lot, and there is a scene where we go to the world's biggest manufacturer of cricket kit, which oh, I liked man. because it's woodwork basically and I like things being made. Making your own box, for example. Yeah, exactly. And and imprinting my own balls. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> Sorry. That's a bit obvious, isn't it? Uh, the, Don't apologise. And then we had a game, we invented a game of cricket because obviously things have to be brief on telly, can't go on as long as a real cricket match, so we invented the One Ball International. <laughs> so I was playing against Vikram, my guide, and we had, we could bowl one ball against each other, and I won. <laughs> At some point, I can I can admit that we faked it a bit, but I won't do that yet. <laughs> I mean, t- talking of sport and events, etc. I mean, I, I was I was always a big fan of Robot Wars, and it's kind of a shame that Robot Wars is not not around on telly anymore now. But there's something that came up in the first episode that could be a new Channel Five program, and that is kite fighting yes. that you got involved with. What an amazing yes. sport that is! Tell us about that. It is, and the thing that surprised me. So when I was a kid, um, there was a big stunt kite craze with the the two string kites that you could manoeuvre. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could make them do sort of draw circles and figures of eight in the sky. And I assumed that their kite fighting would be like that, but they're not. They're single string kites. So you think, well, how do you, you can't manoeuvre that? It just flies in the wind. But that's not true, as it turns out. They can manoeuvre them with sort of little subtle tugs and releases. And eventually they, they play some versions where the strings are actually coated with glue and effectively fibreglass shards wow. so they're very sharp so you, the idea is that you cut the other kite string not not the kite and that's great that's amazing it, but it's also quite dangerous oh. if you get in the way of the taut glass fiber <laughs> lethal thin invisible string thing <laughs> that can take your finger off um but it's good but also the thing they do with the kites in sequence so the guy i was with managed to get a hundred into the air yeah. One thing, and and I started because I'm a bit of a nerd, I suppose. I started thinking about the aerodynamics of it because I thought, well, each time you add a kite, he has them all in a in a briefcase, well, a suitcase. They're already strung together, so he's releasing them one at a time. And they're quite small kites; they're um, only about one and a half times the size of an iPad. Other tablets are available, and but each time you release one, you're inc- you're increasing the weight and the drag of the string, but you're also increasing the area more for the okay. air to so I was thinking there must be a point at which they even out yeah. and it can't go any further. But but the amount of kite area increases out of proportion to the increase in weight. Well, I don't know. I got Kite string theory or something going on. <laughs> but anyway, well, but we got 100 in the air in one string high over the bay and it looked absolutely fantastic. It must have been visible for miles around. Yeah, well, just what an amazing new sport. I've never heard of it. Yeah, I know. I've not seen it like that. And I, I did start thinking, well, do the colours of the kites, does it spell out a message a bit like semaphore flags? <laughs> now, is he saying, I'll be home in an hour and a half? <laughs> you do make our switch. show go wonderfully highbrow every time you appear <laughs> yes, on it. We're very grateful for that. <laughs> um, s- spoiler alert, and I don't think it's a big one, you do buy a belt uh, in this series. Yes. Um, now, I, I have long mocked my friend here uh, about the fact he only owns one belt and has done for a long, long time. Um, how, mu- how many belts would you say it is fair for a man to own? How many does a man need? OK, well, I think... Uh, well, I think that's a very original question. I've never been asked that. <laughs> Thank <one>. you. <laughs> I think a man needs one belt. And, in fact, I only had one as a child at school. But I think some people would say you need two because you need a black one and a brown one. Now, I've... Just go hard on both, it's fine. <laughs> I've got... Now I bought one from Deravi, I've got 
two belts, but I also, but this isn't on camera, I also bought one in Italy. La mia nuova cintura italiana. So actually, uh, this this whole (laughs) you're actually it's not food in every country. It's buying a belt in every country. I didn't buy a belt in Japan. I didn't think of that. Well, there's always we we, you know what could be the next thing, the next place to go, the place which does fantastic (laughs) belts. We imagine. Uh, You you also want one other bit. America, I think probably does. South American do cracking belts. The the one other bit of tech that was uh, was was in the series as well is this 360 camera, which up until this point I've only ever seen uh, Jeremy Vine <laughs> shouting yeah. at motorists. Yes. So you used it to have a walk around, is it Mumbai? Uh, yes, r- around Diravi, the so-called slum. So, yes, yeah, so yeah. How, how does it even work? Because you can see totally above you, but... You can see everything except the top of your head, and it's very... I mean, I have used one a few times before, and I don't want to come across as a Luddite or someone who doesn't embrace these new ideas, but it's very difficult if you've spent years doing that sort of thing with effectively a GoPro on a stick, which points where you're pointing it, to get used to something that's looking all around, because you, there's a, if you watch very carefully, there's a bit where some kids come up and talk to me, and yes. I turn around and I try to point the camera at them, but of course you don't need to, because everything <laughs> is, is already there except you. But what does it look like, though? I don't understand what it even looks like, a 360 camera. It looks like... Well, I mean, you can edit out some of it. It's sort of like having your head inside... One of those big. Um, sorry, that was my gut. Was that your tummy? Someone's yeah. tummy's making a really loud noise. I'm worrying that's me. I know how much I've eaten today, and I, I need a bigger belt, I, and it's not me. I had a burrito at lunchtime. I think it might food be me. Podcast, and it's very. <laughs> it's, it's like being in one of those, um, you know, IMAX cinemas, in effect. Wow. It's, it's that effect. Um, it's, it's a remarkable piece of kit, but it's also slightly. You've got to be careful because it is filming everything, including what's going on behind you. <laughs> okay. And the crew need to be careful because whatever gestures they're making behind you, <laughs> that is also coming out on the 360-degree camera. Um, our man in India is fantastic, uh, and and we we love it. Your 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 trips are always just magical, um, and that's what you've been in to talk to us about. Uh, a, a slight crossover with with the Grand Tour would would be your trip in the auto rickshaw at the beginning uh, of the first episode. Episode that, that people will see of Our Man in India. Uh, where does that compare uh, with some of the hairier moments that we have seen on the Grand Tour and the interest you've picked up? Where does that compare, heart-stopping? If there was a heart-stopping Beaufort scale? <laughs> oh, well, I would say the Indian auto rickshaw, they, they are driven, the polite word would be, enthusiastically. <laughs> and I, I feel quite safe saying that because a lot of Indians have agreed with me. I, you know, I tweeted something about it and they said, yes, you're absolutely right, they're... they're not, not suicidal, but d- d- yeah, vigorous. <laughs> vigorous. I'm, really, I'm being so careful about what I say. They're lunatics. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, but I don't actually. I mean, Aditi was going on about how they're unstable and they can fall over. But I've never felt that, and I've driven one as well in the in the past. Uh, it's basically a Piaggio Ape, like the Italians use for the little delivery trucks. I mean, uh-huh. the first ones were licensed built Piaggios, I believe, and they they're. I mean, there's no crash protection, obviously, but I do, they don't feel... Driving doesn't feel dangerous in India to me. It all flows quite nicely, doesn't go too fast. It's just, you know, it's it's quite... It's noisy, there's yep. a lot of horn blowing, but it's it's quite relaxed. There's no there's no rage, there's there's no high-speed shenanigans, there's no people doing donuts or any of that. So nonsense. if you're checking your mirrors, you should be OK? 
I don't. You don't need to check your mirror in. in oh, really? In, no, because they'll blow the horn. As oh, right. Pass. That's <laughs> it's right. fine. You can rely on the horn. Three sixty camera, any? See what's going on behind you. <laughs> the horn is courtesy. <laughs> and, and speaking of driving, obviously with uh, Top Gear being axed, would you say there's uh, now a gap in the market? We're, we're lacking a, mo- a motoring show at the moment. Would you say? Well, you're not lacking ours because we've still got two big specials to to air. Mm-hmm. Drop whatever we do in whatever the, the word is these world. days. Yeah. <laughs> I would be... I mean, it's nothing to do with me anymore, and I'm sure they're not interested in my opinion, but I, I wouldn't write it off forever if I were the BBC. I mean, apart from anything else, you can't... You can have more than one car show. I think it's quite healthy, too. Mm-hmm. And I think cars currently are are a very interesting topic for all sorts of reasons. We, we haven't scrutinised car use and the way cars are made and the way they're driven and the way they're powered this carefully since I think the car was invented. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's an interesting time to talk about it. Now, that probably means a slightly more consumer-orientated and slightly more serious programme than us three have been making for quite a long time, because ours is really a sort of sitcom, <laughs> pantomime, stroke, circus, travelogue <laughs> thing. Um, Love story. Oh, <laughs> you're really stretching it. <laughs> but uh, I, I think there is room for some reasonably serious discussion about cars. Let's see. It's not going to be us three, though. I think we're, we've done it. We've had an incredible run at it, but it's, you know, we have to land it carefully at some point, and that point is approaching. Amazing. <laughs> James, it's been yeah. brilliant to have you in. Always That's great. A pleasure always to come here. Um, thank you very much. Thank you. This is Bush and Rich's Daily Takeaway. Hope you enjoyed the show. Just got to go back to something. It's a sour taste from the very start, the very intro of this podcast. Yeah. Don't, is that like... Obviously, I didn't make me pastry for me sausage rolls. Would that get me chucked off of, um, like, uh, come dine with me? Because I didn't make the... Because they always want to know, don't they, at the start? Oh, did you make it yourself? And if you say no, then See, they I find think, out. I think on Bake Off, if you turned up with uh, pre-rolled pastry, then you're getting chucked off. How I... would they know? <laughs> Sneak it in. Well, <laughs> I, don't like think, I don't think you could. Imagine that, a waistcoat with pre-rolled puff pastry. <laughs> Made entirely out of pastry, just keep picking it off and cooking it. Come dine with me, I reckon you'd be fine. You think so? Yeah. As long as it was sausage rolls to start, sausage roll for main, (laughs) and then a variation for dessert.